0: Everybody is curious about the future. When you read the Bible, you find clues about God's timetable for planet Earth. It's called Bible prophecy. This Bible has much to tell us about the way things are going to happen, and there's a very clear sequence of events outlined in Acts chapter 15 in the New Testament. Stay with me as we explore this fascinating debate from the book of Acts that took place in Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. At an historic meeting called the Jerusalem Council, described in the New Testament in Acts chapter 15, Big decisions were made concerning the direction and nature of what was evolving into the future Christian church. The situation had come to a head because the apostles Paul and Barnabas had been teaching at Antioch in Syria, and to everyone's delight, the Gentiles were being converted. But some men from Judea arrived in Antioch and began to teach the new believers that They could not become believers in Jesus the Messiah unless they were circumcised as required by Jewish law from the time of Moses. Paul and Barnabas strongly disagreed with this insistence by the Jewish believers. The situation came to a crisis, so the Syrian church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem along with some local believers as witnesses, to talk to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this dilemma. Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. The Jerusalem council was chaired by the Lord's half-brother, James, who had become a pillar of the church by then. And those present included Paul, Peter, and the other disciples they began to discuss what should be done with all of the Gentile converts to Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. The question was, should these new disciples become Jews? Well, Paul and Barnabas reported all the exploits that God had been doing through them. And amazingly, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul recalled the miraculous signs and wonders and exploits that God had done amongst the Gentiles. But then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and insisted that the Gentile converts should be circumcised and that they should be required to follow the law of Moses. After a long discussion, Peter stood up and addressed them. "'Brothers,' he said, "'you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles the good news so that they would believe.' recalling how he had preached in the home of a Roman centurion and how the Holy Spirit had fallen on the Gentiles even while he was preaching and hadn't even finished his sermon. Peter said, You see, God knows people's hearts, and he clearly confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he gave the Holy Spirit to us here in Jerusalem, Peter said, in the upper room. Peter argued that God made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So it was Peter's argument. He asked, why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Wow, what a statement. But Peter said, we believe that we all are saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, after listening to all this, stood up and made a ruling. James said that my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So James proposed that they should write a letter to the Gentile converts and instruct them to abstain from the following four things. He said they should abstain from eating foods offered to idols, they should abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. James said these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. So the apostles and elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates and they sent them back to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas to report on their decision. And they sent a letter from the Jerusalem leadership to the Gentile believers. The letter was absolutely full of grace. It was very simple and it began like this. It said, "Greetings." We understand that some men from here in Jerusalem have troubled you and have upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. The letter went on to say, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements that you must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and abstain from sexual immorality. The letter said, if you do this, you will do well. How very simple and gracious of our Jewish brethren to welcome Gentiles into the fellowship this way. They certainly didn't deny or forbid keeping the ceremonial law from themselves as Jews, but they didn't lay those same requirements upon the Gentiles. Marvelous! Very gracious, indeed. Now, with that background, I'm coming to the main point of this program, and it's very prophetic. It's so infinitely fascinating to me that it was while these discussions, these issues about the Gentiles were taking place, that James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, outlined the sequence of events of church history and Bible prophecy. And he did it by quoting scripture. Remember the rule that Bible theologians often emphasize. Scripture is able to interpret scripture. And many things are clarified during open and honest discussions, aren't they? The Jerusalem Council brought clarity. Even sometimes when we preach, we receive more and more revelation. That's because the Holy Spirit is present and very active. So in Acts 15 and verses 13 to 18, James astutely saw that the question on the table had been basically this, what do we do with these former Gentiles, these former pagans? Do we put them in the tabernacle of Moses to keep the ceremonial laws of Judaism? Or should we send them into the tabernacle of David, which was a picture of worship, of the God of Israel in spirit and in truth. So when James addressed the assembly, he noted that Simon, the apostle Peter, had reminded everybody how God had already first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself under the teaching of Peter. That so-called Gentile Pentecost had already happened back in Acts chapter 10 when the Holy Spirit fell in the house meeting at the home of the Roman centurion Cornelius. James said that the conversion of the Gentiles is exactly what the Hebrew prophets had predicted. And then, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James began to quote the prophet Amos. The passage he quoted is found in our Bibles in Amos chapter 9. James quoted, After this I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David which is fallen down and I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up so that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called saith the Lord who doeth all of these things. And then James added, Known unto God are all of his works from the beginning of the world. This is such an important passage of Scripture for a number of reasons. Especially, I want to point out that this chapter, in fact, describes the order of church history and future prophetic events, all economically, within a few verses. First, I'm going to repeat verse 14 at the Jerusalem Council. Simon Peter described how God is visiting the Gentile nations. Why? In order to call out a people for his name from among those nations. You see, what Peter described was in fact the gathering of members of the Lord's universal church from among all the Gentiles. You see, we mustn't forget that the word church in Greek is ecclesia, meaning the called out ones. In every nation there are Of course many religions and philosophies going on, but there are also certain individuals who are called out ones, who are elected by God to put their faith and trust in the Savior, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, and they become members of this mysterious body of the church. So Peter said, God is visiting the nations and calling out a people. Now let's look at verse 16 of that chapter and see what's the next thing that happens after God has visited the nations and called out believers into Jesus. Quoting Amos chapter nine, James said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, after this, after what? After the called out ones are gathered. After this, God says, I will return. So after the building up and gathering together of the church, which is the fullness of the Gentiles, the Lord himself will return to earth, but not before the completion of the church, only after the called out ones from among the Gentile nations are completed. And then what's the next thing the Lord does after he returns? The prophecy that was quoted by James goes on to say, And I will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will set up its ruins again. This is amazing to me. The fallen tabernacle of David, the house of David, is a clear reference to Israel and the Jewish people. So these prophecies are saying that after the church age, Jesus the Lord will return and will deal again personally and directly with the nation of Israel. He will rebuild Israel's spiritual ruins. Already, look around us. Israel is being built up physically, and that shows us how far the day is already spent on God's prophetic calendar. But Jesus will return soon to rebuild the fallen spiritual house of David, the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David is an idiom for the restoration and revival of Israel in this prophecy. We saw a prophetic glimpse of this recently, and to me it was like a parable of Amos chapter 9 being fulfilled before my very eyes. During our ministry's Feast of Tabernacles celebration that we hold every autumn in the four quarters of Jerusalem's Old City, this past year I walked into the sanctuary of the church that we use for some of the Christian quarter sessions of our convocation. And I was disappointed to see that the church's beautiful sukkah, a colorful tabernacle that's erected inside the sanctuary every year to honor the Jewish festival of tabernacles. Well, it was missing. That beautifully decorated structure was missing because I was told it had suddenly collapsed, apparently when a tour group was visiting the church. The tabernacle, the sukkah structure, had totally collapsed, and so the church was decorated for our event instead with flowers and palm branches. Well, I was disappointed because I'm a decorative person, and I had wanted the beautiful prophetic symbol of the sukkah to adorn the sanctuary for our conference. Well, I mentioned my disappointment to some Israeli friends who'd been invited to our conference, and one of them astutely observed, He said, Christine, don't you see that the collapsed tabernacle is a prophetic sign? And he reminded me that in Amos chapter 9, quoted in Acts chapter 15, the Lord declared that he will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David. Well, I had a good chuckle because I do know that's exactly what God is beginning to do. And the Lord even gave us a visible sign in our conference through the collapsed tabernacle. You see, at this time, God is in the process of beginning to rebuild the fallen hut of David and to restore its ruins. Soon and very soon, God says he's going to rebuild it and restore it to the nation of Israel. So, the order of events on God's agenda is that first, the Lord calls out the ecclesia, the called out ones, his church, from the nations, and then Jesus returns to rebuild the house of David. Jesus, Yeshua, the son of David, is destined to sit in God's tabernacle in Jerusalem, ruling from the very throne of his ancestral father David. That is prophesied. So it is written, and so it shall be done. An important prophecy of that soon coming time is found in Isaiah chapter 16 and verse 5. It says, And in mercy shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hastening righteousness. Also, Revelation 21 3 declares, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Hallelujah. And so let's review what we've said so far concerning the sequence of prophetic events. First, the Lord calls out his church. The history of the church culminates in an event called the rapture when Jesus descends into the atmosphere and literally calls out. He literally snatches away his bride. Next in the sequence of events, all outlined in Acts chapter 15. After this, it says, he will return to earth and restore the kingdom to Israel. Now let's look at Acts chapter 15, verse 17 for the next stage. It says the Lord will restore the tabernacle of David so that the residue The remnant, the rest of the men and all the nations shall come and seek the Lord. That verse is describing the millennial kingdom. This is what we see prophesied in Zechariah chapter 14, which foretells the worldwide reign of Messiah and the nations coming up to worship the king during the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. All the nations will come to worship the Lord And the passage says, any nation that will not send representatives will suffer drought. I marvel at how Scripture interprets Scripture. Acts chapter 15 describes that sequence of events as, number one, first the universal church. The true believers, the genuine disciples of Messiah, are called out. Then the risen Lord Jesus returns from heaven as Messiah, the son of David. Thirdly, he rebuilds and restores the kingdom to Israel. And finally, the Gentile nations, the sheep nations that remain during the millennium, come up to Jerusalem to worship the king of kings. In verse 16 of Acts chapter 15, the Holy Spirit inserted the two words after this. It says after this, The Lord says, I will return and set up the house of David. This means that Israel will not fully come to the Messiah until after the church, until after the fullness of the Gentiles is completed. Yes, there have always been some Jewish members of the body of Messiah, because the New Testament clearly teaches in the book of Ephesians that the church is comprised of the one new man, a new species in the earth of Jew and former Gentiles grafted together. However, all of Israel will not be saved until the church age is completed. It's interesting that sometimes when a Hebrew scripture is quoted in the New Testament, the quote is not always word-for-word but is sometimes an interpretation or it's expressed slightly differently. This is because the Holy Spirit is the author of this Bible And he uses scripture to interpret scripture. So the phrase after this is not written in Amos chapter 9, but the Holy Spirit inserted the words after this in the mouth of James in Acts chapter 15 for clarification. You see, in Acts 15, the Holy Spirit gives us a fuller picture of the plan of God. James said, quoting Amos after this, meaning after the church age, the Lord will return to restore Israel spiritually. You see, this is good news because God has not rejected Israel. God surely has not forgotten Israel, unlike what many so-called replacement theologians erroneously teach. God simply is not finished with Israel. God has not rejected His people Israel, whom He foreknew. God will work with Israel again after the church is completed and called out. Israel's future stunning national revival will be the greatest revival that the world will ever witness. It hasn't happened yet because God is still busy in the process of calling out the Gentiles from the nations. He's still in the process of filling up the fullness of the Gentiles, the church age, as Paul stated in Romans 11:25 Graciously in this extended period of grace while the nation of Israel has been reconstituted physically but not yet revived spiritually God is still visiting the Gentiles At this moment in time God is still calling out a people for his name from among the nations And that's why we're working so hard in evangelism in the nations As I speak in churches around the world, I often ask the congregations, I say, how many of you were saved after June of 1967? And most of the people in the congregations raise their hands to indicate that they received the Lord after June of 1967 and not before. Well, how is it that they still had time to get saved? How is it that we still have a large harvest after that date? Because technically, the times of the Gentiles were finished in June of 1967 according to the prophecy of Jesus in Luke chapter 21-24. In that prophecy, Jesus said that Jerusalem would be under Gentile domination until the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled. And what happened in the lightning six-day war of June 1967? Jerusalem was recaptured by the Jews and was no longer under Gentile rule because it was recaptured by Israel for the first time in nearly 2,000 years by Jewish soldiers. And So we're living in an extended period of grace. Yet there is an overlapping. The Jewish people gave control of the Temple Mount back into Muslim hands, so technically the prophecy of Jesus is still only partially fulfilled. And that means that we have a little more time to preach the gospel among the Gentiles and to call out members of the church. At this moment in time, the Holy Spirit is still striving with men to put their trust in the work, the finished work of the risen Savior. And the Lord of the harvest is still gathering called out ones from the nations. Recently, we were in India calling as many people as possible to receive the Lord's salvation. Because we know soon, according to the prophecies in Amos 9 and Acts 15, the Lord will return to rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David in Israel. And that means the church age as we know it will be finished. The church age will end when Jesus descends into the atmosphere with a shout. And with the voice of the archangel and the shofar of God, at that point, the Lord's feet won't touch down on the Mount of Olives. The Apostle Paul taught in First Thessalonians 4.16 that Jesus himself will descend into the atmosphere to call the living and the dead amongst the church. The dead members of the true church will rise and those believers who are alive at the time will be suddenly changed and will all meet the Lord together caught up in the clouds, and that's the end of the church age. And it's according to the pattern of Jewish weddings, which culminate with a marriage feast. We'll celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bridegroom comes for the bride, but it will also be the beginning of God's dealings directly again with his ancient people Israel. For behold, in those days and at that time, says the prophet Joel, I will bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. You see, after the church is gathered, the Lord will complete the regathering of Israel. Even now, there's an overlapping of the church existing simultaneously with the partially regathered nation of Israel. But God is finishing up with one program and beginning another. The Lord of the Harvest is completing the fullness of the Gentiles while Aliyah, immigration of Jews, is increasing in anticipation of the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit as prophesied upon Israel. Even as I speak, many Jews are making their way back to the land of Israel. They're being shaken out of the nations because of anti-Semitism. But the prophet Joel prophesied, For behold, in those days at the beginning of that time, I shall again bring the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Also in the prophecies of the book of Ezekiel, God speaks of regathering the Jewish people in their own land in the last days. He says he will judge them and purge them, but nevertheless he will gather them. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 20, Verses 41 and 42, God says, When I bring you home from exile, you will be like a pleasing sacrifice to me. And he says, I will display my holiness through you as the nations watch. Then when I have brought you home to the land I promised with a solemn oath to give to your ancestors, you will know that I am the Lord if all of this is winding up in the church and Israel's spiritual restoration is beginning to happen now, my question to you would be, what sort of person should you and I be? How can we be ready when Jesus returns? It's so important not to delay our surrender to the Lordship of Jesus so that when he comes, he appears as our bridegroom and Savior and not as judge. So I want to remind you again that you can't save yourself in the church, the Pope, a guru, all of these are unable to save you. The way God has set it up, only the Savior is able to save you. This is because the Bible clearly teaches in Romans 10, 9, that if you're willing to declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Because all who call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible promises, shall be saved. Amen and amen. So, my friend, keep looking up and also keep doing the exploits of the Lord until the very end. And we'd like to invite you to stay in touch through social media and through our website at exploits.tv, where you can click online to receive our electronic newsletter, Exploits. And so always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, it's time to say shalom. I'm Christine Dark.